Open the Bible, the Word of God, please, to Galatians chapter 1. And we are going to continue studying the Word of God together because it glorifies Him, because it edifies us, it builds us up, it encourages, it challenges, it convicts us. We're just going to read verse 10 this morning, Galatians 1. And Paul asks, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Father God, we pray, Lord, that as we study together your truth and your word, Father, we pray that you would implant it deeply in our souls, and God, that we would be challenged and convicted, that we'd be changed because of your work in us by your power, the Holy Spirit working through your word. We praise you, we thank you, in the name of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, whose death we proclaim until he comes, amen. Well, while studying this paragraph of Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10 last week, we didn't get to spend a whole lot of time in verse 10. We touched on it a little bit in context, but we wanted to set aside some time this morning to really dive into this verse, look at it more closely because it mentions pleasing man versus pleasing God. Now, the proper way to study Scripture is not to just key in on certain things that stand out to us. We've been to Bible studies that way. Read these verses and what resonates with you? What stands out to you? What do you think is important in these verses? That's a thing that we can do, but that's not the regular proper way to study the Scriptures. We stay in context. We find out what the Lord says, and then what He says is important to us, and we've got to change around that. We don't change what the Lord says to fit ourselves. So we need to study each paragraph as a whole unit of thought, and we try to do that our best every Sunday morning when we're together. It helps us stay in context to say what God says, um, to highlight what God highlights, and to say it the way He says it. So we looked at verse 10 in context as part of this paragraph briefly last week, but what we're doing this morning is intentionally taking a step back and looking at this idea, this topic of man-pleasing, people-pleasing. Now, why do we do this? Well, it's important because it's a warning that God's people have heard and needed to heed from the beginning. And it continues through us here today, this idea of pleasing man. It's it's been a problem since the fall. Uh, It's a problem for us, whether we've recognized it or ever would admit it, So because of the nature of the problem, its depth, its breadth, it's mentioned here, we we thought it would be good, we thought it would be edifying to our faith to see how we fall into the idea of man-pleasing, this this larger topic. This is one of those springboards. (laughs) We're we're taking this idea, we looked at it in context, now we're springboarding into this topic. So uh, to keep the point, though, as a reminder, the context here in verse 10 is the gospel specifically regarding the gospel. Paul said, look, if I was a man pleaser, I'd be giving you a false gospel, a gospel that doesn't have verses 8 and 9, anything about accursed, damnation, hell, anything like that. I wouldn't give you, if I was trying to please man, I wouldn't talk about hell, right? Uh, His false gospel, if he was trying to please man, wouldn't include grace because there's no sin to talk about in a false gospel. Uh, There's nothing that would be glorifying God. It wouldn't come from God, verses 4 and 5 talked about. Anything else we see in the true gospel, Paul says, I wouldn't be giving you this true gospel if I was trying to please man. But brothers and sisters, there are other ways that we can live as man-pleasers rather than God-pleasers, 
not only in terms of sharing the gospel. So that's what we want to do this morning is, is look at this, understand this sinful challenge of man-pleasing as it relates to us, what man-pleasing is, what it looks like, what the consequences are, and what we should do about it. That's what we're going to spend time on this morning. So what is it, first of all? And if you don't think that you fall for this, or if you don't think you struggle with this, stay with us, because I think that we're going to be surprised and, and, and grateful for the grace of our God. What is it? Right off the bat, please understand when we say man-pleasing, women, we're not off the hook. <laughs> You're not off the hook. None of us is off the hook here. People-pleasing, right? The Bible, uh, the, the context of the scriptures, um, the word man means mankind, humanity, human beings, right? Okay, so all of us are on the hook. But what is it? This is in your notes. People-pleasing, man-pleasing, is a way of thinking, feeling, and acting. That means it's all-encompassing. It's our, our beliefs, our thoughts, our mind, our, our heart, our feelings, our emotions, our motives, our will, our desires, and the products of our will and what we want in our words and actions. It's a, it's a way of thinking, feeling, and acting that causes you to serve and obey man's fickle desires rather than God. It's a way of thinking, feeling, and acting that causes you to serve and obey man's fickle desires rather than God. All of our decisions, we've talked about it before, everything that we do, everything that we say comes out of our heart, comes out of what we believe. If we can change our beliefs, we will see a change in our behavior. We talk about the the example of the chair, right? Somebody sits in the chair because they believe that the chair is going to hold them. If I see a a four-legged chair, one leg is missing, I'm not going to sit in the chair because I don't believe it's going to hold me, right? But as a moral example, you're outside in the front yard and your children are playing and one of them gets too close to the road and you say, get away from the road. And they get away and then they get back to the road and you pick them up and you move them. It's dangerous. Stay away from the road. And the next thing you know, they're in the middle of the road, right? Why do they do that? We say... It's because they're not listening. It's, they're disobeying. We, we, and that's true. But the heart of the reason for not listening or disobeying is not that they can't hear. It's not the ears. It's the heart. They don't believe you. They don't believe you that it's dangerous. If they believed you and they knew that it was dangerous to play near the road, they wouldn't play near the road. But the heart is the matter. The heart is the heart of the issue. So the trouble is not the ears, it's the heart. The same goes when you tell your children as they get older to wear sunscreen and drink water and don't do drugs and, and all of the rest. You know, put your seatbelt on. All of those things that we tell them, they, if they don't, it's because they don't believe you and what you're saying. They believe something different. It's when we reach the heart of belief that actions change. When Eve's beliefs changed from what God said to what she thought was good, based on what Satan told her, she disobeyed God. The same goes for every one of us. When we disobey, it's because we believe something different from what God has said. We believe it. We love something else more than the Lord. We fall into many different ways of sinning because of that, including in people-pleasing because of what we believe is important. Okay, so, so the result, as we said, is, is obedience to man instead of God. The origin is in our heart and mind. But what is it in our heart and mind that brings that about? Next in your notes, people pleasing begins in the heart by fearing man instead of God. We fear man instead of God. In Psalm 147, God says that his delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. 
the implication is like it is for people. You know, that's, that's what we think is good, and that's what our delight is in. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those whose hope in His steadfast love. In Matthew 10, Jesus was teaching His disciples. He was about to send them out into a, a, a very intense journey of, of mission work, and He was teaching them, despite the persecution that was coming, He says to them in Matthew 10, verse 26, have no fear of them. Don't have a little bit of fear. Don't have a lot of fear. Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. He says, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. That's what he teaches his disciples. Rather, Jesus says, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So do you hear the the two opposing realities there? You are either going to fear man or you're going to fear God. Man has a limited amount of damage and harm that he can do and inflict. God has eternal power. But then Jesus goes on to say, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, Jesus says. You are of more value than many sparrows. (laughs) Any of the sparrows that God takes care of and He knows about, He knows about you more. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, Jesus says, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So the fear of Man and the fear of the Lord are separate, and they're, they're exclusive of one another. They don't allow uh, the other to, to come in. It takes control of our heart. When we fear the Lord, we will acknowledge Jesus as our Lord, our Savior, before mankind. But here's what happened in John 12. In John 12, many of the authorities believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. They didn't acknowledge Jesus before men so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So do you see the connection of fearing man, fearing God, obeying man, obeying God? People pleasing begins in the heart and the mind as fear of man rather than God. And then our love is directed based on where our fear is directed. The fear of man leads to loving the glory of man. The fear of God leads to loving the glory of God. So it's an all-encompassing way of thinking and feeling and acting that causes you to obey man rather than God. That's what it is. Now, the world recognizes that this can be a problem in people's life. Uh, that it's unhealthy to make your life all about pleasing other people. And the reason it becomes a problem is because, um, well, we get exhausted, don't we? Trying to please other people. We, we get tired. Uh, we get run out. You, you've heard the saying, you can please some of the people all of the time. You can please all of the people some of the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. You've heard that, right? And we know that for sure that last one's true, but the other two are not true either. You can't please all the people some of the time. You can't even please some of the people all the time. It's not possible. Mankind is so fickle. We change in our mind back and forth. Sometimes we want this, sometimes we want that, and sometimes we don't even know what we want. The only one who can bring true, lasting pleasure to the human heart is our Creator God, the one who made our heart. It's really impossible for us to truly please man. But we exhaust ourselves 
trying to please people. We, we get frustrated with people and life around us. That's when we finally recognize it as a problem, and many will turn to the world for the answers for what to do. It's a heart, mind, soul issue, but we go to the world to ask the world to help. And here's what you get. It's labeled codependency. Or it's labeled with a disorder of some type, the borderline personality disorder or avoidant personality disorder, the dependent personality disorder. Or in extreme cases, you just have a masochistic personality type. And so when it's given a label like that, it's, it's because, well, I've, I've identified this as a problem, and it's a problem because I feel bad about myself. I'm exhausted, right? I mean, it's interfering with life in some way. So it's a disorder. It's a problem. So if we keep it in those terms, what the world says this stems from is the root of this is most often fear, the world says. Hey, they're onto something, right? The problem is, it's not fear of man instead of God, as the Bible says. The world teaches us this all stems from a fear of rejection or failure. And the world says it can begin because of early relationships in life, maybe a parent whose love was conditional or something that happened to you. But because the problem is fear of rejection and failure, you need to either stop doing anything for people or going anywhere. Our life becomes impacted by this. We never stop doing things for people. We get overworked. We can't say no. On and on it goes. The world sees it's a problem. Now we're going to look at what the world says as a solution in a few minutes, but we're going to keep looking at what the scripture teaches us about this versus what the world teaches us about man pleasing. So we can understand God's wisdom and not fall for the solutions of the world and the labels of the world. So we've talked about what it is. We've talked about what man-pleasing, people-pleasing is. What does it look like? How can I tell if I'm falling for man-pleasing? As we saw in Galatians 1.10, man-pleasing in terms of the gospel looks like changing the gospel. looks like distorting it, twisting it. It's not sharing the gospel, living in fear of what man thinks. Um, But what it looks like is really often not what it actually is. Because what it looks like, if you've been paying attention, it looks like people pleasing for others' sake, it actually is an idol in our own heart. We're we're pleasing ourselves. When we're trying to please other people, when we're trying to do what other people want, when we're trying to guess about all of those things, what we're doing is we're looking out for ourselves. We think that we're looking out for other people, but the real, real key is that what they think about us, what they say about us is so important to us because of what it does to us on the inside, in our heart. What it does to my pride. You know, I want to do things for others so that they'll compliment me, so that they'll reward me in some way, so that they'll trust me. I want to do things for others so that they'll think good of me, and I don't want to let anybody down or say anything that offends anybody because then they'll think less of me or they won't say things very nice about me, and that hurts. What we're really doing, though, is we try to do those things that please people and not do things because it might hurt people is we're watching out for our own pride. What we're really doing is saying, I don't care what God says about life. I don't care what what God says about what people say about me. I don't want to be hurt. I I don't want to feel that. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I can't bear to be hurt again. Those kind of statements. So instead of obeying God, I'll do what pleases man for my sake, for my own heart. It's grown so important that what others may think or say that it can either prevent me or motivate me to do or say anything or not do or not say anything. 
rather than what God says and thinks being the most important thing to us, we're consumed with what others say or think because that's the idol that's most important in our heart. So most obviously, again, looking at our definition, it looks like disobeying God and obeying man, but more specifically, more concretely, let's look at it in terms of uh, what we believe we are here for as the church, worshiping, discipling, equipping, and on mission. Worshiping, if we're led by the fear of man and demand pleasing our worship will change from what God wants into what man wants, right? Worship is ascribing worth, fearing and and ascribing worth to someone or something. So if we're fearing man, if we're worshiping man, we'll love man, we'll do what he says. That goes for the worship of our life as worshipers or in our collective worship of God here on Sunday morning. So in our life worship, people pleasing in life worship leads to disobeying God more than man. Currently, Right now, in the world, that looks like questioning God's ideas of creation, the creation order, and gender, and whether we're accidents brought about by evolution, or whether, you know, God made us. And and that's most obvious, but less obvious is any area of life. A couple of examples. Work. Man says, humanity says, work is hard. (laughs) It's not very fun. We like entertainment. We like comfort. We like doing what we want. But God says we're here to work. He put man and woman in the garden to work. And he says our work is to be done as we're doing it unto him. And so the way that we think about work, the way we talk about work, our theology of work and who God is reveals what we fear, who we fear, whether it's God or man. Do I rest from work so I can get back to the work that God has for me? Is that, what, is that the way I look at rest and work? Or do I look at work as something I need to hurry up and get done with so I can get to the rest and the, do the comfortable thing and the fun thing and what's enjoyable to me? You've heard of FOMO, fear of missing out, right? I'm going to miss out on something that somebody else is getting to see or do or something that somebody has. You know, life becomes all about seeing things and trying things and doing things. You know, I might miss out. How am I supposed to know what it feels like to get drunk or high if I don't try it? You know, FOMO, fear of missing out. It's not enough that God says, don't do it. People might look down on me for being a wimp. People might think I'm just a holy roller. People might, they might think I don't know what I'm talking about. See, what it, see how it looks and, and what it looks like in our life of worship, in our corporate worship. The same things apply. And you can tell when somebody's idea of man-pleasing is influencing the ideas of corporate worship when corporate worship becomes less about what God wants and more about what people might want, right? Let's make the music more like a performance or concert, more like what people are used to, what people like. Let's not use church words like sin and repent and salvation. You know, that stuff makes people uncomfortable. Let's make it fun, Let's make it enjoyable. For whom? (laughs) Right? That's the question. For whom? Enjoyable for whom? Let's have short sermons that are more appealing in their relevance to where people are at right now and what they want to hear. See, our worship changes based on who we fear, who we're trying to please. But God told Moses in Deuteronomy 6 to tell the people, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. He says you need to live out what God says. You need to teach it to your children all the time. But then he goes on to say, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. 
And then he says, look, you, you can't worship any other gods. You can't change any of what God says about living a life of worship to him. Here's what he says next in, in chapter 7. He says, if you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? In other words, he says, look, I've told you to dispossess them, take control of the land. If you say, but look how powerful they are, and look how strong they are, I could never do that. How can I obey God's word when they're so big and strong? That's what, that's what he says. If you say this in your heart, you shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember the Lord your God, what he did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. And he lists the summary of all the things that God did in, in the plagues and in the exodus, all the power that God displayed. He says in verse 21, you shall not be in dread of them for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. So again, we see the, the problem, fear of man, and the solution, fear of God instead. Your worship of God will change if you fear man instead of God. It encompasses your life, your entire life. Whether we're living out in the world Monday through Saturday or we're here in the church, what's more important to us? What, what people think of us? What people say of us? Or what God says? What God thinks of us? Here's what Jesus says in Luke 6. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to people. He says to them, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and they revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. He says, that's when you're truly happy. That's when you're truly blessed, when people hate you because of Jesus in your life. The reverse is also true. Jesus says, woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. <laughs> it's not, life isn't all about trying to get people to say nice things about me or think nice things about you. It's about what the Lord thinks of us. Success in life is not what people say about us, but what our Lord thinks of us. It's not just worship, but our discipling. <laughs> We've talked about making new disciples and sharing the gospel. You know, if we try to win somebody with a, a false gospel, it, what you win them with is what you win them to. We've heard that before, right? So you win somebody with a false gospel that Jesus, just, just add him to your life, and then everything gets better. And then when somebody comes in and they accept that gospel, and then things don't just get better, what can we do? <laughs> We've won them with a false gospel. We have no assurance. We have nothing we can tell them. Discipling believers, rather than teaching all that Jesus has commanded us to obey and to observe, when you're afraid of people, you might think, no, let's, let's just get together. Let's just have a good time. Let's, let's eat. Let's play. You know, let's not talk about anything that Jesus has said or taught or how to, how to obey it. Equipping. In equipping ministries, we're supposed to be equipped for ministry, all of us. So, you know, when we're pleasing man, we're looking for non-confrontational ways. Just show me the easy way to do what I'm supposed to do. Show me, how to, show me the least amount that I can do and still serve the Lord and serve other people. And, and, and that's how our equipping is impacted by people pleasing, man pleasing, fearing man. Always on mission. We will always be on mission. If we're seeking to please man, we will always be on mission, but we'll always be failing in that mission of pleasing man because we can't do it. But what does it really look like in life? It, it's when we're trying to gain acceptance and approval from people around us. 
when we're trying to gain their acceptance, when we're trying to get them to approve of us, when we want recognition for what we've done. It looks like when we get really clingy to somebody or to people. It looks like when we're unwilling to make decisions on our own, right? I, I, I don't want to take all the personal responsibility for a decision, so I'll involve others so that they can take the blame if it goes bad also, not just me. It can look very positive. It can look like somebody who's always giving, always encouraging, always attentive, always agreeable, right? Because that person's trying to earn your acceptance. They're trying to earn your love. It can look like flattery. It can look like the person who's taking the blame always, even when it's undeserved, you know, when we say, I'm sorry, all the time. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. As we mentioned before, it can mean uh, when, we, when we can't say no to requests, you know, oh, I can't let this person down. I can't let anybody down. It's all about what I can do for them. It's all about how I can be there for people, and it's all about me being the hero, and, and so I can't ever say no. I can't turn anything down, even when it would be wise for us not to accept or serve. It can look like conflict avoidance, never confronting sin in the life of a, of a brother or sister, when we're overly sensitive to criticism. No, I can't handle that. All my life is about being perfect. Perfectionism. That's, a, that's another way that it looks in our life when we're pleasing people because, I, look, I've got everything all in a row. I've got everything perfect. I can do it all myself, and you should be impressed. It looks like finding some way to tell others about what we've done if nobody saw it. It can look like fishing for compliments. It can look like skillfully avoiding talking to people about the truth in love can look like I'll serve as long as there are people who'll see me serving. Some of you out there are saying, well, that's okay. I don't struggle with any of that. I don't care what anybody thinks of me. <laughs> Usually, that's a cover for the person that is very acutely aware of what other people think of them. Usually, they put up that outer shell to protect themselves. I don't care what anybody thinks of me when they really do. Some symptoms of fear of man and what it looks like when you're discouraged all the time. You know, when, when you're just living a life that's discouraged because you're trying to please this people around you and it, it, you can't, it's not possible. When there's no peace in your heart, you know, it's always a struggle. You're always trying and you're always working. There's a weariness when you're exhausted. This is hard to try to please everybody. Again, you can't. When there's no thankfulness in your heart, you know, what have I got to be thankful for? I, I, as soon as I've done this, I've got to do that. And as soon as I've done with that, I've got to work on this. And I've got to, I've got to move on. I've got to try to please everybody. When there's anxiety in your heart, when there's envy and jealousy in your heart, there's no contentment for what God's done, what he's given. Now, all of these things can be easily seen. It's what the world can even see. And the world identifies as a problem, even if they get the problem wrong and then the solution later. But they can see that something's wrong, but whether it looks like what we've talked about, I've, I've tried to hit just, just a, a number of, of ways that it looks and, and how it manifests itself in our life, even when it doesn't come out, the Lord looks at the heart, not the outward appearance. The Lord knows whether we're struggling with what man thinks instead of what God thinks. In the end, it all looks like disobedience to God. Even when we're doing good things. Even when we're serving, when we're serving to please man, it's disobedience. It's not obedience to him. It's not fear of him. It's not motivated by love to him, but for other people. 
So if it all leads to disobedience, that leads us to next, what are the consequences? What was brought about because of our disobedience to God, our pleasing man? Because if we're honest, look, this doesn't sound like that big of a deal, right? I mean, you take the sin of murder or stealing and people-pleasing, you're probably thinking like, well, (laughs) come on, let's be real about this. This isn't that big of a deal. It doesn't sound like such a bad thing. But as we've said, the heart of this problem really is our own heart because it's bringing about disobedience. Well, how bad is disobedience? 1 Samuel 15 gives us a picture of how bad obedience is. Samuel said to King Saul, look, God told me to anoint you as king and to do your job as king. Your job right now is to destroy the Amalekites. The Amalekites had tried to destroy Israel when they were defenseless. They were helpless. They were trying to come into the land. They tried to wipe them all out. God says they're wicked already. Then what they did has earned them being wiped out. You need to wipe them out. So Saul leads Israel into battle and they defeat them because God was working for them. And God says, make sure you wipe them all out. Take nothing for yourselves. Leave nothing. Wipe it all out. But the people liked the stuff. They wanted the good animals. They wanted the good gold. They liked some of the people. They even spared the king, Agag. They said, we're keeping all this. So Samuel returns and he hears the animals. He sees the stuff and he says, why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Saul says, I did. We beat him. (laughs) We wiped him out. One of the things that man-pleasing does is it causes us to rationalize our sin. I did. I mean, I, I did what I was supposed to do, mostly, right? But he hadn't. Samuel lays it out for us plainly. He says, you did not obey the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen to the Lord is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, like witchcraft. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. He finally gets through to Saul's heart. He says, you disobeyed the Lord, like flatly, just right out. There's, There's no hiding it at all. He gets through to King Saul. So here's what King Saul says in verse 24, 1 Samuel 15. I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. See where that disobedience to the Lord came from? In King Saul's heart, he feared people. So he did what they said instead of what God said. How bad is disobedience? It's the very essence of sin. (laughs) That is sin. Disobedience. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is disobedience. It's sin, and sin always comes in and brings consequences. Not just before God and, and eternal consequences, but before God and before other people right here and now in this life. Now, we don't have time to go through all of these and develop these, but here's just a, a list for your own study of, of consequences that people-pleasing and disobedience to God leads to. First one, worldly fear. Worldly fear. You say, well, it's, that's kind of circular. This is man-pleasing, and it leads to more. It, it's fearing man. It leads to more fear. Well, that's, that's what it does. Isaiah 8, the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, this is what God tells to Isaiah, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. See, when we start fearing the world, we start fearing man, it leads to more fear of man and and more falling in line with what the world says and what the world does. It's more fear, worldly fear. Number two, it can lead to longer consequences. 
even longer, long-term consequences. In Numbers 14, you remember the people of Israel? They got right up to the border of the land. They came out of Egypt after the Exodus. They got right up to that border, and God said, go in. And they said, but God, those people are really big and strong and powerful. We can't do that. Our little ones are going to die. God says, you're going to be wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years because you disobeyed because of your fear of man. Those were longer consequences than what they should have had because of their fear of man. They're man-pleasing. Number three, another consequence is lack of rewards from God. Lack of rewards. In in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, look, when you're doing things to be seen by other people and they applaud you, that's all the rewards you're going to get. You've got your reward. That's it. There's nothing that's going to come from the Lord, even with all the good things that you've done when you do them before people to, to be seen, to be plod, applauded and praised. That's all you're going to get. But not just a lack of rewards. Number four, Jeremiah 17 says that it, it brings a curse from the Lord. Number four is a curse from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 17, 5, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. But blessed, brothers and sisters, don't miss the positive. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. But do you see that there's only one of those two options? We don't get to, we don't get to have both. It's either fear of man, trusting man, or fear of the Lord, trusting the Lord. Number five, worthless ministry. We can have worthless ministry if we do our ministry, if we serve trying to please man and not God. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. It wasn't worthless. Why not? Because our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. We speak, Paul says, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul said, if we had come that way, We would have come and our ministry would have been vain, empty, worthless. Number six, a consequence of people pleasing is an insincere heart. An insincere heart because both the origin and the continuing consequence of people pleasing is a heart that's not sincerely devoted to the Lord. In Colossians 3, Paul says, bondservants, we understand today that that applies directly to us as workers, as employees, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but instead, the opposite of that is with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. We're supposed to fear the Lord, and that's how we're supposed to do our work. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Again, you see all of these ideas and concepts all wrapped up together in these verses, the ideas of rewards and the idea of sincerity, the idea of fearing. Who do you fear? Number seven, another consequence is enmity with God enmity with God. In James 4, he just comes out and he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, if you're trying to make friends, you're trying to please people, you're trying to do the things that other people like, makes himself an enemy of God. It's kind of a big deal, isn't it? (laughs) 
the sin of people pleasing that, that we thought, well, you know, you put it up against thie- stealing, you know, a thief or, or people pleasing. Stealing is bad. People pleasing is bad. It leads to these kind of consequences. Enmity with God himself. Number eight, it leads to further disobedience. When, when we're trying to please people, it brings about disobedience and it brings even more disobedience to the Lord. Sins like partiality, sins like bribery. Exodus 23, God says to his people, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil. Wow. You know, one of the ways that we do that so easily is on social media. We just fall right in with the many to do evil. And we don't even recognize that we're trying to please all of these people in social media. We don't want them to think badly. We don't want them to come after us. We want them to say good things or just ignore us. Do not follow the crowd in doing evil things. You know, in Acts chapter 12, Herod saw that his action of killing James pleased the people. So what did he do? Further disobedience. He arrested Peter. (laughs) I'm going to get him too because it made these people so happy. In Acts 24, Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor. He left Paul in prison. Oh, that pleases people. Okay, he's staying there. It wasn't just, it wasn't right, but it was further disobedience. In Acts 25, Festus did the same thing. He wanted to do the Jews a favor. So he said, Paul, why don't you just go to Jerusalem, knowing that on the way, Paul would be ambushed and assassinated. Just wanted to please people, but it leads to further disobedience. Number nine, perverted justice. Pleasing people leads to perverted justice. Proverbs 29 says, many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord not from the ruler's favor. Now, there are more consequences for people pleasing. That's just a a sample. That's all we have time to to do this morning was to look at those. What do we do about it? This is our last question. This is our, we'll call this our application. (laughs) What do we do about this? Again, the world has answers for us. The world tells us, well, if 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 you're struggling with codependency or one of these personality disorders, you need to start thinking about your own needs first. You got to, you know, think about getting others to help you instead of helping other people all the time. Uh, Get to know yourself. Get to love yourself more. You know, if if you really loved yourself, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't put yourself through all that. You wouldn't love all these people so much. You need to set boundaries around yourself so you can say no instead of yes. If that doesn't work, come in for expensive and ongoing psychotherapy, right? Cognitive behavioral therapy and all the rest, desensitization. And if that's not working, here's some medication. SSRIs, sedatives, fluoxetine, whatever it is, have it all. Those are the world's, that's the world's solution. Now, a person might feel better after those things. A person might feel better after taking some medication or after taking that advice from the world. So does it work? It depends on what you mean by work. If by work... It means you're, you're, you're talking about I'm not helping other people so I have more time to think about myself so I can feel better than before. Maybe that works if that's the goal. But if it means to grow to become more like Christ, who was not swayed by man's opinion or appearance, even his enemies saw that in Matthew 22, the one who always did what pleased his father, John 8 says, then no, the world's answers most definitely do not work. They don't bring any of that about. So here's what we should do about it. Here's our application. First, you must confess. 
with any sin that we have, with anything that we struggle with, the first thing we need to do is confess it because to confess means to say the same thing about it that God says about it. Let's recognize it for what it is and call it what it is. Let's not rationalize it. Let's not try to just move past it and just ignore it. It's idolatry. It's pride. It's discontentment with what God's given, how he's made us. I think I've got to be like the world. I think I've got to be better. I think I've got to, I think I've got to, it's my pride. It's my idolatry. It's unthankfulness. It's of disobedience and sin. So 1 John tells us, confess. Say what God has said about it. Then he's faithful and just to forgive us our our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what we do. We confess. Then we repent. We turn away from it. We say, I'm going to get away from man-pleasing. How do we do that? We've got to examine our heart to find the desires that led to that idol, to constructing that. Turn to the living God. So what does it look like? Well, it looks like, our repentance looks like putting off the fear of man. Putting off the fear of man, if you would desire to please the Lord and live in obedience to Him, a life of worship, you can't just look at the symptoms, right? Those, those, those ways that it looks like on the outside. I'll just stop trying to do that. <laughs> I'll just stop serving people. I'll, no, that, that's not how we do it. You have to go to the heart. The things that we believe must be changed, like we talked about at the beginning. It's not true that you are what people think you are. It's not true that you are what people say you are right? Change those beliefs in our heart. Stop fearing man. That's that's what God says in Isaiah 2. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? (laughs) That's what God says in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, again, Jesus said, don't fear man because the worst he can do is take your life, your physical life. Proverbs 29 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Do you hear the contrast? Fear of man on one side, trust in the Lord, fear of the Lord on the other side. Fearing man is a trap, a snare that traps you. It won't let you go. It will kill you, so don't do it. Put it off. Don't fear man. Change the beliefs of your heart. Don't fear man. But it's not enough just to try to cut fear out. We can't just stop fearing man. We've got to replace it with something, so we put on the fear of the Lord. This is what we replace fear of man with. Isaiah 51, God reminds his people about who he is, what he's done for them, so they should fear him. (laughs) That's why God shows us what he does and who he is. God says in Isaiah 51, verse 7, listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law, fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. Don't get upset when people revile you, when they say mean things about you because you're following Jesus. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness, God says, will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Read that chapter. Study that chapter. God talks about the wonderful works of God, how he's protected them, he's provided for them. He says, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you're afraid of man who dies? The son of man who is made like grass, God says, and have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You're continually fearing man. Why on earth would you do that, God says? You don't fear man, you fear the Lord. Again, Matthew 10, Jesus says, don't fear man who kills you, fear God who can take away your soul and your body. Replace fear of anything and anyone with fear of the Lord. And when we fear him, we love him, we serve him. 
We like to quote Acts 5.29, you know, when the government gets out of control and starts overreaching, and we say, no, we must obey God rather than men. (laughs) And that's true. But that applies in all of life. Mankind says you should do this. Mankind says you should do that. I'm afraid of what they might think or say, so I'm going to do that. No, we must obey God rather than man. I would recommend a couple of books to you if you're interested in reading books. If you think, man, this is a bigger problem than I ever realized. You know, it looks like so many more things. and There's so many more consequences to it. It's so serious. Lou Priolo's book, Pleasing People, How Not to Be an Approval Junkie. Lou Priolo, Pleasing People. Read that book. Ed Welch, his book, When People Are Big and God is Small. <laughs> Two books that I would recommend. If you didn't catch those, it's okay. We'll... Uh, I, can, I can email those to you. You can, you can ask for those. Or come talk to us. We'll help you because, look, we struggle with it also. There, there have been times even preaching to you on Sunday morning that I've caught myself holding back from saying something because, you know, this is hard. That, that wouldn't be received very well maybe by everybody or, or this person or that family might not like this or that. And what would happen if they left? What would we do without that person or without that family? And I've got to do the same thing. I've got to confess that to the Lord. I've got to repent of that, turn away from that, replace that fear of man with the fear of the Lord. Father, we praise you, God, and we pray to you, Lord, because you are the great creator, God. Lord, you are the God of all things, the God of all people. Father, you will be God forever. Lord, I pray that you would teach us more about you because, God, the more that we learn about you, the more that we fear you, the more that we love you, the more that we desire to serve you. Father, help us to recognize ways that we live as man-pleasers. Father, so that we can turn away from that. Father, we can turn to pleasing you. God, we know that there is nothing that we can do in our own strength, our own power to please you, but Jesus has pleased you in every way. God, his perfect life is given to us. It's credited to us, Father, when we believe in faith. And by your grace, you give that to us. But Father, practically, Father, we ask that you would make this real and alive in our hearts and minds. God, change us from inside so that outside we will be different, pleasing you in all that we say and do, Father. We praise you. We ask for strength and boldness for this. And God, we know that you hear and we know that you answer because this is your will. God, this is what you said you want for your people. So God, we thank you. We praise you for that promise, Lord. And we, God, we, we live in joy because of that, Father, that, that we're not trying to please people, that we, we're never going to be on a mission that's impossible. God, that we are living lives that please you because of your work in us. We praise you. We lift up the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.